Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Pat and Al, why don't you join me up here real quick? Yeah, that's you. <laughs> um, we just wanted to give a quick, I wanted to let these guys give a quick um, report back. We were, uh, Nick, myself, and these guys, uh, uh, Karin, Val, we were all together in um, Bournemouth in, in the UK for, uh, for the last week or, or, or so um, at the Advance Global Conference. Advance is a network of uh, church planting and strengthening uh, uh, churches that we're a part of. And uh, it was a really, uh, really great experience. I'm going to let them talk, talk a little bit about it before Nick comes up to preach. Great. Yeah. So I'm Al. This is Pat. Um, yeah. So we were on the team to Bournemouth. And I want to talk about two things that really stood out to me. And then Pat's going to talk about two things that uh, I think can help mold our vision for looking forward. So for me, the two things that stood out, um, we were reflecting on how during... The, two, the last two years, it's felt like since a lot of things have shut down, a lot of things have been stagnant, and there hasn't been a ton of forward momentum, but we actually had an opportunity at the conference where all the new church plants since the last global gathering came up. Um, I don't remember the number, but there were like dozens of church plants in the last... Uh, last few years, um, and it was really cool to be able to see that, um, even as we sang, nations shake, uh, but God, he, he remains on the throne, um, and he, he has provided uh, breath and life for his vision of reaching the world, so that was a really cool thing. Another really cool thing is um, it just felt like a renewed emphasis or a new emphasis on um, how spiritual maturity can't happen without emotional maturity. And I know that that's something as a, a body we have really been um, kind of getting behind and investing in through emotionally healthy relationships. And it was really cool and encouraging to see that that was actually a global sort of push that we we cannot develop healthy disciples spiritually. You can know all of your theology, but if you don't have emotional health, if you don't have a soul uh, that is emotionally healthy, um, then your theology won't be as strong um, and, and won't impact as many people. So those were two really cool things that uh, encouraged us at the conference. Yeah, and then kind of moving forward, um, something, a couple things we took away was this um, charge to develop resilient leaders. Um, over the last couple of years, we've seen a lot, of, a lot of leaders kind of shrink back from leadership, say, actually, I'm, I'm done, I'm burnt out, I'm tired. And while some of that's understandable, we also believe that Jesus is still worth pursuing and worth the work. And it's not a work that is white knuckling, but it is a work that is laying yourself down at the feet of Jesus um, and saying, God, use me how you will. Um, and I trust that you are, you are enough. And so that is something that as, and something again, as, as a leadership team, uh, Nick and, and the team have led us into, what does it mean to be emotionally resilient leaders? What does it mean to be um, faith-filled and courageous and spirit-filled? Um, just really excited for that moving forward as well. And then Al and I got to spend some time with um, yeah, music ministry teams from around the world and we're just 
yeah, spent, felt left feeling really refreshed with new exciting vision for um, the music ministry, which is not just the band, but it's all of us. We are, the church leads worship together. And so I'm very excited for what yeah, God has deposited for this community um, and how our songs shape how we respond to the spirit, how we, how we teach and disciple each other. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited for what God is doing. Um, yeah, ready to, ready to go after it, guys. So thank you for, for sending us. Yes, thank you guys. And Pat and I would like to announce that we're having a girl. Yeah. Um, there was a real costly trip for the Stuarts and the Gillespies. I was on the phone saying to them, look, uh, sightseeing in London is fine. You guys should be here. And they're like, we know. We lost our luggage or our luggage didn't arrive, and we've been sitting in traffic for the last four and a half hours. Um, and so they had not the best start to their trip. I do want to say this. Um, I just want to invite any of you that are, are feeling like God is stirring you to a more global perspective. Next year, hopefully, uh, global will be in the United States, so it'll be fun to be able to participate in that. But... Um, we are, yeah, we're part of a movement that is global, that wants to plant and strengthen churches for the glory of Jesus. Um, just like this church, we may be small in number, but large in heart. And, uh, and so, yeah. Let me dive in. Um, such a privilege to be back with you guys uh, after a couple of weeks. And um, the beginning of this year, we felt as a leadership team that God was calling us to go deeper so that we could go wider. Uh, to be able to bridge the gap between spiritual formation and mission. In fact, to be able to commit, <laughs> to be able to commit as a community that there really should not be a gap between spiritual formation and mission, and, and that the more spiritually formed we become. And so there were four areas that we felt like God uh, was leading us into, and, and, the, and the one beginning of the year was both a theology and a practice of encountering God. The fact that God is alive in Jesus, that His Spirit lives in us, um, and that we are not aligning our mental capacity to a set of ideas, but we are actually engaging with the risen King Jesus, that God wants to speak to us, that we can experience Him, and that we can desire to be more engaged in those things. The second thing was that we wanted uh, a deeper sense of connection and importance to the embodied church, the importance of being part of a local body, um, the fact that it shapes us, the fact that it's an opportunity for us to serve, and the fact that we as a local body of believers get to image something to our city that is unique. Thirdly, as uh, Pat Nell said, that we want to be disciples that are vulnerably resilient. Uh, we want to be those that are self-aware, those that are emotionally healthy, but we also want the ability to be able to bounce back. We want to be able to endure suffering and trial. We want to be able to make sure that we don't fade and that we don't shrivel because our, re our roots are planted by streams of living water. As Mark says, we want to be a non-anxious presence in a world that is just vibrating with anxiety. And then lastly, we want to expose you to the global church to remind you that God is in fact at work in very different contexts 
and to look to those contexts because they help us both from a sense of encouragement in terms of look what God is doing, but then also from a sense of perspective when we're mad because the microphone isn't working, you know. And so at Advance, um, we kind of rekindled some of our friendships. So this is a guy called Andre. And Andre is a leader in the city-to-city movement. He also leads a church in Weinberg in Cape Town. Um, And some of us from here, I think Betsy was there, was when I, I preached at Andre's church. And one of the things that he's teaching us is the population growth of the major cities within Africa. Uh, that in the year 2075, that Kinshasa will have 58 million people. That will be the largest city. Now, Ed, what is the second largest city there? Mumbai, Delhi, right? And so you'll see a strong Indian connection to what we're talking about this morning. And so part of what my job is this morning is to help us answer the question, why bother with a global church? Why would we go to Advance Global? Why would we partner with organizations? Why would we send money to Nepal and India? Why would we have Puran come here? Why all of those things? So I'm going to pick up from Philippians 2, verse 5 through 18 in the ESV. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God or in the very nature of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling, sorry, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. He is in prison and he's reminding them of the pattern of holiness in Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the power of the cross. This is not the scripture that you thought I would read when it came to the Great Commission, right? Many of you probably thought I would read Matthew 28, verse 18. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. Or maybe I would read out of Acts. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. Why have I started with this? Because Rigby at the conference said that there are two frontiers that the gospel has to penetrate. And those two frontiers are the innermost parts of our heart and the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel has to penetrate the innermost part of our hearts, which is, which is the bulk of the scripture, so that we can be effective 
in actually reaching the uttermost parts of the earth. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary to India for a long, long time. Uh, and then when he came back to England, uh, a lot of his writing is basically the father of modern mission in terms of contextualization. Uh, now, there's going to be a lot of Newbegin quotes this morning because not only are we going to be talking about India, but we're also going to be talking about what it means to reach a global world. Newbegin says this, the cross is not a defeat reversed by the resurrection. It is a victory po proclaimed to chosen witnesses by the resurrection. The center of the revealed mystery of the reign of God is the cross. There, the power of God is revealed, but it is revealed as weakness. The glory of God is revealed, but it is revealed as humiliation. The victory of God is revealed, but it is revealed as defeat. And so what Paul is reminding us is this is this picture of weakness on the cross actually producing the greatest victory that we would ever know. Victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over death. And so the reality that Paul is saying is that I want you to understand and remember what you are shaped by. And you are shaped by the most powerful act that has ever taken place. And that is by God coming in human form and choosing to sacrifice himself on your behalf. Therefore, let this mind be the same mind that you walk forward with. So let's look at the first frontier, the innermost parts of my heart. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To be like Jesus, to be humbly strong like Jesus. Now, fear and trembling, that's kind of, I'm not really sure I understand this. The, the bulk of Paul's letter to the Philippians is saying, now, don't be anxious. And now you're saying to me, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Is, is he kind of giving us a, a mixed message? Is, does God want me? to fear Him and to tremble and, and to do things thinking that in some way I'm not going to measure up um, and I need to work really hard in order to gain His affection. That's not what He's saying. This is a phrase that is used in the Old Testament to indicate how people are to respond to God when the profundity of His work is made clear. And when Paul is showing how profound the work of the cross is, he's saying, I want you to understand what it is that you're living in. I wanted to grab your imagination and your souls to the point at which you are like the men and women of old when God appears to them, that they fall down with fear and trembling. This is the kind of, of God that you are serving. When all creation will either choose to or have to bow to Him. This is what Paul is saying. Now, we have the privilege as Christ followers of being men and women that choose to say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. But there will be a day when everyone will be forced to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul is saying, understand the power and the authority of the person that you follow. This is not an ugly fear. It is a, it's a reverence and anticipation. It's, it's the difference that helps us understand the sense of weight that God has given us as Christ followers. Now, what is the difference between this fear that makes us shake and makes us anxious and this fear that, that he's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and it's in these words. 
For it is God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What gives me huge amounts of confidence and what enables me not to get into some sense of anxious fearfulness is that it is God at work in me that is able to take of what, if Je- of what is Jesus and appropriate it to my life. If our affection and focus is on Jesus, then transformation and sanctification becomes this byproduct of intimacy. True transformation cannot be divorced from true intimacy. Gordon Fee says this, in all of Paul's writings, the principle is love, the pattern is Christ, the power is the Spirit, and the ultimate purpose is the glory of God. Jesus is shaping what we find joy in, and He's also shaping how we handle pain. It is God who wills and works for His own good pleasure. He doesn't insulate us from painful situations, but rather gives us the strength and reason for undergoing them. Jesus redefines us. He calls us daughters and sons, and then He calls us pilgrims. This is not your home. Then He calls us witnesses. You are to speak of what you have been able to witness and experience. And then he calls us kingdom establishers. We are those that are establishing colonies of heaven on on earth as it is in heaven. Now to the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And even as I said this morning, this is a crooked, perverse, and dark generation, something that we have been rescued from by the grace of God. Now, we aren't supposed to pretend that it isn't, but the reality is that because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides within us, We have the power of light and life within us. We should not fear the dark because we are the light of God. And so there is a sense that in the midst of the darkness that we are able to proclaim the light of God, and not only in our small circumstance, but into the global world. Newbegin again says, the gospel is the truth, and therefore it is true for all men. It is the unveiling of the face of him who makes all things, from whom every man comes, and to whom every man will go. This is not a Western idea. Uh, This is not a predominantly white Anglo-Saxon idea. The gospel is true for all men. It is the revealing of the meaning of human history, of the origin and destiny of mankind. Jesus is not only my Savior, He is the Lord of all things, the cause and cornerstone of the universe. If I think that I can keep it to myself, then I do not in any real sense believe it. Global missions are not an extra. They are the acid test of whether we believe, whether whether or not the church believes the gospel. Global missions is not an extra, but they are the acid test of whether the church believes the gospel. So, how are we to recapture this? We need a genuine recapturing of the Great Commission. Now, some of us view global mission 
as this idea of Western colonialism. And I was chatting with um, a black friend of mine in South Africa, and he said to me, this was before we moved here, and he said to me, Nick, when you guys came, us guys, white guys, when you guys came, he said, you, you gave us bread, but you didn't take it out of the packet, and you made us eat the packet. So what he's saying is, is that what you brought with, within the context of this idea of we're bringing a message of grace, you didn't unpack it from your culture. And so what we did was we tried to eat this bread, but we choked on the packet. And so there was the sense of saying, uh, of saying to, to John, I understand that, but like how do we unpack it? He said, you've got to help us understand what is the packet and what is the bread. And so, for example, and those of you that have visited Africa for, for a while will know that, that, that the church is still being choked by the packet. We'll, we'll go into villages, and we'll sit under a tree in 100-degree weather, and the pastor of the church will be in black slacks, a white shirt, and a tie, sweating bullets because he's choking on the packet. Does that make sense? And so what we've done is like, okay, we've, we've, that's wrong. We should not impose our cultural values on another culture. Uh, what we need to do is make sure that we, we contextualize so, so what we, we haven't done anything at all. Or we're afraid now, because we've been complicit in helping people choke on the packet, now we are afraid to challenge any aspect that is unbiblical because we are seen as colonial pirates. And so now it gets a little awkward because, because the reality is, is that whether this is your culture or not, that's not okay. It's not okay to beat your wife, even if that is the culture. That's not okay. It's not okay in our culture. It's not okay in your culture. That's a biblical reality. And so what we've done is, is we, we kind of are falling off the horse. Martin Luther says this, history's like a drunk man on a horse. No sooner does he fall off the left side, does he mount up again and fall off the right side. Okay. Now, I thought about this. We think the problem is the horse, right? Now, if you're drunk, you go up to the horse and you try and get on the horse and you're like, okay, I am going to be really sensitive about mission and I'm not going to speak of any kind of truth that can offend. Fall off the horse on that side. Then you get on the other side of the horse and, and you think that the problem is the horse. The problem is not the horse. What is the problem? You're drunk. That's the problem. The problem is not the horse. The problem is that you're drunk. And what are we drunk on? We are drunk on individualism. We are drunk on our Western perspectives. And we're also drunk on the fact that we've made mistakes before and we don't want to make others. And so we climb on, fall off, climb on, fall off, and think the horse is the problem. Missions is the problem. I could, no. How about we just sober up? How about we allow the gospel to penetrate the innermost part of my heart and recognize that if it penetrates the innermost part of my heart, it has to penetrate the uttermost parts of the world. And God help us. We've made many mistakes, but we know that your gospel is truth for all men and women everywhere. Help us to do it. So why bother? Why bother with a global church? This is going to be profound because Jesus commands it. Okay? Like if there's no other reason than that, Jesus commands it. It is an overflow of the gospel shaping our lives. You want another reason? I'll give you another reason. Because engaging with a planting, planting, that's a new word, 
with the planting and strengthening of the global church, it does something quite profound. It poisons our Western pride. You, you want to be knocked down a rung in terms of how you think about yourself, your group, your culture. You go and you see what God is doing in the global church. Remember a month ago when Puran was here from Nepal and he said that God has told me that, um, that he's going to give us a building and he's going to give us land and then all the wise Westerners around him are trying to kind of calm him down a little, just, you know, just maybe set your sights a little lower. You know, land is expensive in Nepal. And then two weeks later, he calls us, not to rub it in, he says, someone has given me $600,000. Poisons my Western pride. I said, Puran, you've got to lay hands on me, bro. It makes us grateful, humble servants of all God's people for His glory. Because when we see Jesus work in the uttermost parts of the earth, it has a deep effect on our innermost parts. Now, truth is, it's costly, but it's exhilarating. It is exhilarating to see the name of Jesus proclaimed in different tongues. It is exhilarating to go to a little city in Nepal and see the fact that 50 people have gathered. Half of them know Jesus because he healed them. And they have gathered the rest of their family and said, come and see the man who healed me. It is exhilarating. So how do we bother? We know why we should bother. How do we bother? It's quite simple. One of the phrases that you probably hear a lot of at Mercy Commons is, not everyone can do everything, but everyone can do something. Everyone can do something. Jesus' humiliation and resurrection is an invitation for us to make similar decisions with our own lives. Problem is, we believe it's only for the special few. So it's only for people like Stephen and Chelsea who went to Thailand for almost two years and helped establish a church plant. More power to them. It's only for someone like Steph who's like saying, what would it look like for me to actually go and to help that church plant in Thailand? No, it isn't. It isn't just... In that sense, it could be, it could be that God is calling some of you to relocate, but it isn't just for these special few people. Scripture tells us that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You could look at this as God has called me to be a witness in my family and close relationships. God has called me to be a witness in my work, and next week we start our series on God at work. God has called me to be a witness in our nation, and God has called me to be a witness in the nations. I was chatting with Ed uh, yesterday, and it's not or Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. It's and, and, and. Now, timidity is not humility, and boldness is not pride. And so one of the things that we get the privilege to do within the context of community is spur one another on to good deeds, but then also question, 
is that what God has called you to, and why do you desire to do that? It's the kind of attitude and heart posture that Paul helps us understand when we look at the way in which Jesus operated to have that same kind of attitude and heart posture. Now, this is not about this, this sense of um, n- no one needs to be rich or successful because if we're rich or successful, then we're full of pride and we're committed to our own kingdoms and building our own kingdoms. No, we get to do whatever God has gifted us to do. Now, Philippian church was planted because Paul went to a city and there was a woman called Lydia who was a purple dealer. She didn't even live there. And she said, hey, crash at my place. You, you don't have a space to meet. You can meet here. Did she go to Bible college? No, because the Priscilla and Aquila school were closed at that stage. No, she offered what she had. This letter in a sense, is a product of her giving what she could give. And so, my encouragement to you is, what is it that you have that you can give? Ed, why don't you join me up here? Ed and Josh are here from um, an organization called 500K. Part of the background is that about four years ago, John Mark was working with an organization called Gospel Patrons. And Gospel Patrons is an organization that looks for modern-day Lydia's, basically saying the ability that you have to generate income is something that can actually spur the gospel on. Um, And so, Ed, why don't you talk about 500K, what you've done, and why? Sure. Well, uh, just before I answer that, there's been one thing on my mind, the the whole service, and that's uh, as the two visiting Brits... Would we call it Wilshire or Wilshire? <laughs> I'm from London. I speak the Queen's English. For me, it's, it's really Wilshire. But this guy, he's from the Shires. What would you say? I think it's Wilshire. Wilshire? Wilshire. So just by way of uh, quick introduction, uh, my name's Ed. I uh, work a couple of days a week as a doctor in the emergency room. It's very much as a uh, a tent-making capacity, so I can do what I'm really passionate about free of charge, which is the the 500K work, which uh, Nick alluded to. Um, One of my sort of taglines, which I say quite often, is um, doctors don't save lives, but Jesus does. Uh, The gospel does. And it sounds great to Christians, but sometimes uh, my friends say, yeah, I don't know if I'd uh, want you as my, uh, as my doctor. That's, uh, that's not that reassuring. So, uh, yeah, I live in a, a borough of London called Woolwich. I say, if you're ever in the borough of Woolwich and you're feeling a little bit sick, just try and make it to the next borough of Lewisham, and then there's no chance that you'll have me as uh, your doctor. So that's uh, just a quick introduction uh, for me. And, uh, yeah, and uh, my name is Josh. Um, I've been... Um, I- just say, I'm just so inspired by the message today. Um, it's so impacting to me, and, and church planting has been a part of my family's story. Um, I, uh, my parents are pastors, and I went out and, and started uh, my first church when I was 17. I moved to Uganda as a part of a church plant team, um, and then to Southeast Asia in Cambodia. 
Um, I'm now living in Cape Town in South Africa, planting a church, but I've been um, working with 500K for the past 18 months, um, and uh, Ed will share a bit more about what we do, but um, I just love to see a community um, that is passionate about what God is doing around the world, because I know that um, being a part of um, a, a church that is thinking beyond just the community we're in has been not only transformational for the communities that we're reaching, but more than that, it's been transformational for the innermost parts of my heart. And so, um, so that's why we're passionate about what we do as well. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, was, it was so lovely to hear um, that message. And in fact, I was amazed. So, so much of my job is to, to go around to places and encourage people to give to empower the church in India. And I come here and I'm like, oh, they're already doing it. I'm like, well, yeah, I can go home. <laughs> Um, so uh, Nick said to me, uh, I'd love for you to share a bit about how, how we can all do our part for, uh, for the Great Commission, for, for going to the ends of the earth, and, and what that had looked like for me. And uh, when I grew up, um, something which was super, super pivotal for me was my parents reading to all of me and my brothers and sisters missionary stories, like the story of Hudson Taylor. This guy, he literally got on a boat for five months to travel to the other side of the world. He faces incredible hardships there. There's a civil war going on. Some of his family members die there. But he sees this nation transformed for Christ. And not only that, but he, you read his journal, the, the joy and the peace which he discovered in the Lord um, just blew my mind. So as a child who was perpetually bored, I was bored at home, I was bored at school, I'd hear these missionary stories and I thought, wow, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to live. I think God's calling me to be a missionary. And, and that was even why I um, uh, trained to be a doctor. I thought it could be useful overseas. And, and yes, I'm passionate about Healthcare, but what really um, blows my mind is just this grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of those uh, words of from Corinthians: "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich." That's an amazing message, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing message? What rich man would give away into poverty? I mean, we hear about Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, and they've given away 10% of their $200 billion or whatever it is. I don't know. We're pretty impressed, right? 10%. Jesus, he's got so much more than $250 billion. He gave it all away. He became impoverished so that we, through that poverty, might be rich. That is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ that needs to go around uh, the world. Sorry, I don't want to get too carried away. I've been given five minutes. Excuse me. <laughs> but in brief, uh, when I was, uh, I was 19, um, I, I, I met an, an Indian uh, guy, um, probably in many ways like, a, was it Puran, who you, men you mentioned? 
like Puran, and, and, and he just uh, blew me away, really, um, with his passion for the gospel, and I traveled around with him to India. He was telling me these stories of what Indian people were getting up to, and it sounded like the stories mum and dad had read to me growing up, the stories of Hudson Taylor, and I thought, wow, I thought these stories were locked away in the past. They're saying they're happening now. Yes, I want to come and see it, and I went to India, and I traveled around, and I saw these villages, and I saw churches being planted into communities that had never heard the gospel, and I just thought, wow, this is history in the making. And I, had a, I suddenly had this sort of penny drop moment where, for me, I thought, for me, I, uh, I don't think you need me coming to you uh, as a missionary. You're already doing it. How can I be a part of what God is, going, what, what God is doing here? Uh, and for me, realizing that I could play a, a vital part through financially empowering these people because that's a gift that we have uh, in my church in Britain. It's a gift that we have here in the church in America. We're blessed financially to think that we can help these, who for me are are superstars of the faith um, with relatively small amounts uh, of money uh, just uh, blew my mind. So uh, I came home and to begin with, I was just giving what I could, and eventually one day that, that morphed into uh, this organization now. Um, we call it 500K, just to explain that. It's short for 500,000 churches. We don't really say that as a statement of, this is what we want to do, but it's a statement of the need in India. There are as many as half a million villages that have got no Christian presence. I believe the greatest need of all is to at least have the chance to hear of this grace of Jesus, and for that to be a reality, you would need to have 500,000 churches, one in each of the churchless villages of India. So, you know, we are just the smallest, smallest part of what God is doing to, to reach that, but we're there trying to do all we can to, to raise, raise up and to empower and to support local leaders and their particular visions to reach their tribe or reach their state or reach their district uh, for Christ, and it's a, it's a joy to be able to, to do that. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. Part of the reason Ed is up here is obviously to give 500K some profile, and at the back, if you have more questions, you, you can get involved with Ed. But probably what's more important is this. Um, Ed was sensitive to the way in which the Holy Spirit worked in his journey of wanting to be engaged with the global church. Um, first and foremost, there was this understanding of the privilege of the gift that he had received, the innermost parts of his heart. And secondly, there was the sense of what is the something that I can do? Um, And that is really the question that I'm asking this morning is what is the something that you can do? Now, we know that our current engagement with global, gee whiz, global church planning and strengthening is this weird sentence and I'm having trouble getting my mind and mouth wrapped around. But We know that our current engagement with global church planting and strengthening happens predominantly through advance. However, it is not exclusively through advance. And you'll see the way in which this amazing body responded when we said, can we help the church in Poland deal with a crisis that came out of Ukraine? And you guys just rose up and said, yes, we want to be a light in a dark and twisted world. And you guys did that. And so there are multiple ways for us to get involved. What Raman and Puran has said is we need men and women to get on Zoom 
and to be able to teach some basic theology classes. We need people to come and visit us to show us that we're not alone. And we need people to just call us. Uh, we also, and, and that's one of the things that we're doing, is hopefully bringing Roshan here with us. We need the Western Church to recognize that we also have a gift to offer. And so one of the things that we're doing is trying to get this young Nepalese guy here so that he can bring his gift to us at Mercy Commons. It, you know, Paul says, I want to give you a gift so that we can be mutually encouraged. Um, and so the sense of us saying to Roshan, hey, we feel like you have something to invest in our community, it breaks this whole idea of Western colonialism and actually says, you have something that we need and we want to bring that over. Lastly, we have to let Jesus shine in our innermost parts so that we can be a light to the uttermost parts, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We push back when we push back our own pleasures, our own passions, our own entitlements, when we forego our status so that we can serve and bless others, we are those that are not stained and shaped by this world. This is so that we can bring light into a dark place, so that we can bring goodness to a wicked place, so that we can bring clarity to a mixed up place. We don't need to fear the dark because we are the light. As Rigby has said to us, can we be a community of praise in a world of doubt and deception? Can we be a community of trust in, uh, sorry, a community of truth in a, a post-truth pluralistic society? Can we be a selfless community that is concerned not only with our own tribal needs, but with the needs of the city and the world? Can we be a community of mutual responsibility? Those that pray, those that play, those that pay. Can we be a community of hope in a world of pessimism and despair? In other words, Mercy Commons, can we revel in the mercies of God? Can we proclaim the mercies of God? Can we demonstrate the mercies of God? And can we participate in the mercies of God for the common good of our city and the world? So this morning of... If you're a seeker, hopefully one of the things that you've experienced is that we are in a relationship that has changed our past, that motivates our present, and has secured our future. We've been transformed, we've been loved, we've been rescued and given an eternal purpose and a guarantee when Jesus comes again. And this has all been done because of His great love and because of His great mercy, not because of anything that we have done. And you can experience that this morning. Band, you can come up. For us as Christ followers, there is the sense of what can I do? John Mark and Madeline and Jeannie and Costell hosted a 500K event. I wouldn't call them missionaries, but I would call them this. Those that want to see the gospel penetrate the uttermost parts of the world. They chose to do what they could do. What is it that God is asking you to do within the context of the global church? We are part of a global community. 
One of the privileges we have, even though we're a small community, is we have relationships with people literally around the world. If you want to experience something of the global church, come and talk to me and I can send you tomorrow. Steph? So, hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm, and and I want to be proud, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's in prison. He's about to die. He says he's glad and he rejoices with them all because the gospel is being preached to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says this to them. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice. Why can we be glad and rejoice? Can we be freshly captivated? Not only with the beauty of our Savior, but with the magnificence of the price that He paid and the exhilaration of the commission that He's called us to. We can be glad and rejoice because this is not about trying harder. This is not the gospel. This is me holding on to Jesus as He holds on to me. Paul, in the same letter to the Philippians, says, lay hold of Christ as He has laid hold of you. It doesn't matter whether I have the strength to hold on or not. He holds me fast. I'm in the grip of His grace. And He said to me, Nick, I've rescued you. I've transformed your life. I've broken the curse of sin and Satan and death over you. And I'm sending you out as a witness to the uttermost parts of the earth and the innermost parts of your heart. When my faith fails, He holds me fast. When my love is cold, when my love for Him and my love for His world grows cold, He holds me fast. Jesus, thank You that You held nothing back. Thank You that You came and transformed the innermost parts of our heart and invited us on this exhilarating journey to join you as you bring restoration to all things to the very edge of this world. Thank you that this is not about doing more or being more, but this is about engaging in who we have become, sons and daughters, witnesses, kingdom bringers of the one who deserves all glory. Jesus, will you hold us fast? Will you send us out? Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.